0: Welcome to Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And here's your host, filling in for DC Lundberg, me. This is Joey Martin, the show's announcer, and I will be at the helm of today's episode of Locked On Mariners, brought to you by Built Bar. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this program on whichever podcasting app you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners or any of the other shows here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And also remember to follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. The World Series we'll be looking at today is from 1986, a series most well-known for a certain play from game number six. This fall classic saw the New York Mets take on the Boston Red Sox. The preceding league championship series had both been classics in their own rights, the Mets having defeated the Houston Astros four games to two, while the Red Sox had toppled the California Angels four games to three. Game 1 of the World Series was played at Shea Stadium on October 18th and turned out to be a pretty intense pitcher's duel. Bruce Hurst got the starting assignment for the Red Sox and pitched 8 innings, allowing 4 hits while also walking 4. He struck out 8 and didn't allow a single run. On the other side, Ron Darling got the call for the Mets. He went 7 innings, gave up 3 hits, 3 walks, and struck out 8. He also allowed a single run, the only run scored that game, although it was unearned, Jim Rice having scored on a Tim Tuffle fielding error in the seventh inning. In Game 2, however, the Red Sox offense made it clear in the third inning that this was to be no pitcher's duel. Against Dwight Gooden, they plated three runs on three consecutive hits by Wade Boggs, Marty Barrett, and Bill Buckner. The Mets countered with two in their half of the inning, however, an RBI single from Wally Backman and an RBI groundout from Keith Hernandez. The late Dave Henderson led off the next half-inning with a home run to extend Boston's lead to 4-2. Henderson had also hit a dramatic and clutch home run off Donnie Moore during the preceding ALCS, as the Angels had been nearing a series victory. New York failed to score in their half of the fourth, and in the top of the fifth, Dwight Evans blasted a two-run home run to move the Red Sox further ahead at 6-2. The Rocket, Roger Clemens, did not have his best day at the office for the Red Sox. He left with the score still at 6-2 with one out in the bottom of the fifth inning after allowing a walk and a single. Steve Crawford came in from the Red Sox bullpen and gave up an RBI single to the late Gary Carter, bringing the score to 6-3. Bottom seven, Rick Aguilera on the mound for New York. The first three Boston hitters all reached base on singles, bringing up former Mariner Dave Henderson with the bases loaded. He grounded a single through the hole between first and second, plating Jim Rice, then another former Mariner, Spike Owen, grounded through the hole at short to score Dwight Evans. Aguilera was relieved in favor of Jesse Orozco, who struck out the next two hitters, then induced a fly-out. For all intents and purposes, the game was over at this point, but Boston tacked on one more for good measure in the ninth, Dave Henderson scoring on a Wade Boggs double. The game's final score was 9-3. Crawford got the win in relief, while Bob Stanley earned a save, having pitched the final three innings. Dwight Gooden was tagged with the loss. The teams moved to historic Fenway Park for Game 3. Down two games to none, the Mets looked to get back into the series and made a statement in the very first inning. Lenny Dykstra led off the game with a home run to right field, giving the Mets an instant one to nothing lead. Oil Can Boyd struggled, then gave up two singles, bringing up Gary Carter with runners at the corners. He hit a double, scoring Wally Backman. Two outs later, Danny Heap, DH'ing for the Mets, hit a soft line drive single to center, scoring both Keith Hernandez and Gary Carter. As an interesting bit of trivia, Danny Heap was in fact the first designated hitter in World Series to bear the initials DH. Boyd surrendered four runs in that rough first inning but largely settled down after that. Former Red Sox Bob Ojeda cruised through most of his seven innings of work, the only blip being an RBI single from Marty Barrett in the third inning. Up four to one, the Mets added two more in the seventh inning against Boyd. With two out and the bases loaded, Gary Carter hit a single to left field, scoring Rafael Santana and Lenny Dykstra. Carter tried to advance to second on a throw home, but ended up caught in a rundown and tagged out. Regardless, this gave the Mets a 6-1 lead, and they would go on to add another run in the seventh inning, taking Game 3 with a final score of 7-1. Bob Ojeda pitched brilliantly, and while Oil Can Boyd pitched well for the most part, those two bad innings ended up proving rather costly. Game 4, still at Fenway, 2-1 series lead for the hometown 9. Starting pitchers Ron Darling and Al Nipper traded zeros for the first three innings before the Mets got to Nipper in the fourth inning. Gary Carter hit a two-run home run, and later in the inning, Ray Knight singled home Daryl Strawberry. Lenny Dykstra went deep in the seventh inning against Steve Crawford with Mookie Wilson aboard, extending the Mets' lead to 5-0. Carter later added a solo blast in the eighth inning for a 6-0 advantage. The Red Sox finally broke through in the 8th, with Roger McDowell now pitching, Dwight Evans singled to plate Jim Rice, and later scored on a sacrifice fly by Hendu, Dave Henderson. It was far from enough, though, as the final score ended up being that 6-2, evening up the series at two games apiece. We'll finish up the 1986 World Series shortly, but first, this word from Biltbar. Bar. If you're a regular listener to this show, you've heard DC speak about Biltbar Bar many times, so I don't really know what I can add that he hasn't said before. I suppose there is amber-flurbel-flurmblen-flurg, but that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Instead, I should simply reiterate that they're great-tasting protein bars covered in 100% chocolate. They're high in protein while also being low in sugar, calories, and carbohydrates. They're gluten-free, and the nut-free flavors are all produced in a nut-free facility. They come in 18 delicious flavors, and they make a great between-meal snack, quick breakfast on your way out the door, or a post-workout protein boost. They can be found at BuiltBar.com, and if you try to use the promo code Don't Stop Believin', hold on to that feelin', it doesn't work, so you should probably use the promo code On" instead to get 20% off your next order. Also, don't forget about Built Boost Drink Powder and Built Go Energy Shots. All of this can be found at BuiltBar.com, and don't forget, use the promo code On" for 20% off your next order. Have you got a question or comment? Send it in to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com and DC will read it and reply to it on the air. Questions and comments on any subject are welcome, but bear in mind this is a family show, so let's keep it appropriate. Once again, LockedOnMariners at gmail.com is the place to send your questions and comments. Locked On Mariners look back at the 1986 World Series will continue following this brief commercial message. Welcome to the second half of Locked On Mariners. Here's your guest host, me. Yes, although I am ordinarily the announcer on this program, today I'm filling in for DC Lundberg. We've been remembering the 1986 World Series on today's episode, and when we left off, the series was tied at two games apiece, effectively reducing it to a three-game series. Fenway Park played host to Game 5 on October 23rd. Dwight Gooden started for the Mets and was opposed by Bruce Hurst, who turned in an excellent effort. The Red Sox were first on the board, Dave Henderson scoring on a second-inning sacrifice fly by Spike Owen. Owen and Hendu had both been traded by the Mariners to the Red Sox late in the 86 season as part of the same deal. Bill Buckner scored an unearned run in the third inning on a Dwight Evans single. Boston led 2-0 after three innings of play, and they would add to this lead in the fifth inning, Don Baylor singling home Jim Rice, then scoring himself on a Dave Henderson double. That 4-0 lead was seemingly all Bruce Hurst needed on that day. He tossed a complete game, scattering 10 hits, only walking one, and only giving up two runs, one in the 8th and one in the 9th. This Game 5 victory put his Red Sox one win away from clinching the 1986 World Series as the Fall Classic moved back to flushing. The Rocket, Roger Clemens, was back on the mound to try and give Boston its first championship since 1918. Bob Ojeda drew the start for the Mets, and both starters more or less did their jobs. Boston scored two early runs, however, a Dwight Evans RBI double in the first and a Marty Barrett RBI single in the second. Both teams then traded scoreless innings until New York tied the game in the fifth inning. Ray Knight singled home Daryl Strawberry, then scored himself on a double play ball hit by Danny Heap. Boston retook the lead in the seventh inning, Marty Barrett scoring an unearned run on a Dwight Evans groundout. The Mets came back, though, with Gary Carter driving in the tying run in the eighth inning on a sacrifice fly against the usually reliable Calvin Schiraldi. After the regulation nine innings, the game was tied at 3-all. The Red Sox wasted no time in extra frames, however, Dave Henderson leading off the 10th with a home run. Marty Barrett then provided an additional insurance run, driving in Wade Boggs with a single. They took that two-run lead into the bottom of the inning with Schiraldi still on the mound. He quickly retired the first two men, and the World Series championship seemed within grasp. Gary Carter lined a single to left field, then pinch hitter Kevin Mitchell lined a curveball out to center for a single of his own. This brought up Ray Knight, who hit the Mets' third consecutive single, this one scoring Carter to bring the Mets back to within one run. This single also advanced Mitchell to third base. Schiraldi, seemingly rattled, was replaced by Bob Stanley, another usually reliable bullpen arm. With Mookie Wilson at the dish, he uncorked a wild pitch near Wilson's feet, the ball rolling to the backstop and allowing Mitchell to score the tying run. Knight advanced to second. This, of course, gave Mookie Wilson a great sense of relief. Since the tying run was scored during his at-bat, he was later quoted as saying, I can't lose now. He also said he had one philosophy in hitting, Thou shalt not pass without offering. So he was trying simply to make contact. He fouled off two pitches before sending a weak ground ball up the first baseline directly at Bill Buckner. Buckner set his feet, squatted down to field the ball, and it rolled right under his glove. The Shea Stadium crowd erupted in cheers as Ray Knight brought the winning run home, and the jubilant Mets stole a Game 6 victory away from the Red Sox to live another day. Rain postponed Game 7 for a day, the rubber match eventually taking place on Monday, October 27th. The Red Sox sent Bruce Hurst back to the mound, who had already turned in two great World Series performances. The Mets countered with Ron Darling. Darling did not have his finest day. He allowed back-to-back home runs to Dwight Evans and Rich Gedman to open the third inning, and then gave up an RBI single to Wade Boggs for a 3 nothing Boston advantage. Hurst, on the other hand, began strong, allowing only one base runner through five innings of work. After retiring the leadoff man in the sixth, however, he loaded the bases on two singles and a walk. Keith Hernandez hit a two-run single, which was immediately followed by a Gary Carter RBI force-out. The Mets had tied the game at three. To begin the bottom of the seventh, Calvin Chiraldi, who played a big role in blowing Game 6, took the mound for the Red Sox. The first batter he faced was Ray Knight, who took him deep, giving the Mets a 4-3 lead. Lenny Dykstra singled, advanced to second on a wild pitch, then scored on a Rafael Santana single as the Red Sox were collapsing. Mets reliever Roger McDowell sacrificed Bunted Santana to second, and Chiraldi's day was done. Joe Sambito would enter, and the first thing he did is intentionally walk Mookie Wilson. Wally Backman drew an unintentional walk to load the bases for Keith Hernandez. He hit a sack fly out to center field to score Santana, extending the Mets' lead to 6-3. To and the way things were going, that seemed like it was going to be enough. However, Dwight Evans got two runs back in the next half inning on a two-run double. The Red Sox brought starting pitcher Al Nipper out of the bullpen for the bottom of the eighth, the majority of their bullpen either spent or ineffective. Daryl Strawberry led off the inning, launching an 0-2 pitch over the right field wall for a home run. Ray Knight singled, Lenny Dykstra flew out, then Rafael Santana was intentionally walked to get to pitcher Jesse Orozco. Orosco drove in Knight with a ground ball up the middle, helping his own cause and bringing the score to 8-5. Nipper was pulled, relieved by Steve Crawford. Crawford hit the first batter he faced, but then induced two groundouts to end another bad inning for Boston pitching. Top of the ninth inning, Mets up by three runs, ball in the capable left hand of Jesse Orozco. Ed Romero led off by fouling out to the first baseman. Wade Boggs then grounded out to second. Marty Barrett then stepped to the plate. Orozco got him to strike out swinging, sending Shea Stadium into a frenzy. Orozco leapt off the mound, swinging his arms and sending his glove flying skyward off of his right hand as his teammates ran to pile on top of him. Although the Mets had trailed by two runs in the 10th inning of Game 6 facing elimination, and had also trailed by three runs early in Game 7, they came back both times to take the series four games to three. Ray Knight was named World Series MVP. The most famous, or rather infamous, play of this series is, of course, the Bill Buckner error which allowed the winning run to score in Game 6. However, it should be noted that Buckner had usually been replaced on defense late in games by Dave Stapleton. Two more points the Red Sox bullpen was more to blame than Buckner was. Not only did Bob Stanley toss a wild pitch to bring in the tying run, but they also blew it in Game 7. In addition, while Buckner is most remembered for this error, he had a great Major League career. Perhaps not Hall of Fame caliber, but in 22 seasons he had a lifetime batting average of .289, collected over 2,700 hits, and hit 498 doubles. The man had an excellent career, and it's unfortunate that this one error is the memory that sticks with most fans. And that will do it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed this look back at the 1986 World Series, and we'll be back next time for another great fall classic. In the interim, please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this program. Look us up on any podcasting app that may spring to mind, and follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. Thank you again for listening, and have a great day. And putting my announcer hat back on for a moment, this is Joey Martin speaking for Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.